0: Well, we've spent the last month talking about being on mission, and here at Connect Church we say that our mission is to help people reconnect with God, helping people reconnect with God. And the first week in this series I talked about uh, the, the urgency of that commitment of helping people reconnect, uh, and then uh, the next week we talked about building bridges to cultures that are different than our own building bridges to cultures that are different than our own. We talked about people that are completely unchurched. They don't understand this church thing, and yet there's a hunger for connecting with God. Last week, we talked about helping people who are de-churched, who have, for one reason or another, walked away from the church, helping them to reconnect to God. And today, uh, I want to share with you probably the most difficult topic, and that is helping postmoderns reconnect with God. Postmodernism is a culture. And uh, as I've been talking to people this this week, and, and some of you have talked on Facebook, and uh, I've had conversations about postmodernism. And, and, and as I've talked, I've realized there's some people that kind of have an understanding of what postmodernism is. And there's some people that uh, this is a brand new word. It, you know, it, it just makes no sense at all. And I'm just curious, how many of you have Never heard the word postmodernism before. You don't know what that means. Okay, a bunch of us. Uh, and, and some people, uh, you're a little bit familiar with it. Uh, I, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm a little nervous this morning on this topic because this is such a, a squishy topic, and it's so weird, and it's so complicated that uh, I'm afraid that I'm just going to confuse you this morning. But I'm going to do my best to provide some clarity and some direction uh, but here's here's what you need to know. Postmodernism is a culture. It's a philosophy. It's an art movement, and it's all around us. Culture is all around us, and uh, when we live in a certain culture, a lot of times, most of the time, we just stop thinking about the particulars of culture. So we're not even aware that culture exists. Sometimes, let me illustrate this way. I want to ask all of you, I know you've got your hands full, but bear with me. I want to ask everybody in the room, stand up. Would you do that? Good. How many of you, by a show of hands, how many of you consider yourselves to be an individual and you like to express yourself in an individual way? All right. Lots of hands all over. All right. Now put your hands down. If you are wearing wearing denim, I would like you to sit down. All right, you're not really very individual, are you? Hey, now there's, there's a handful of people still standing, not wearing denim. If you have a collar on your clothing, sit down. Yeah, you got more than one collar on there, Linda. <laughs> All right, two... Two things that I I wiped almost all of you out with what you're wearing. We think of ourselves as individualistic, but our culture influences us in a way that that we conform, don't we? We conform. I could ask. I think I could wipe the rest of us out with if you have sleeves on. Sit down, right? Everybody got sleeves on. Uh, you've got short sleeves. They're still sleeves. <laughs> I'm just illustrating the point that culture is all around us. And when you got dressed this morning, you probably didn't even think about putting on blue jeans or putting on a shirt with a collar. It's just what we do. But in other cultures, blue jeans would be considered outrageously weird, right? And, and so what I want you to understand is culture is all around us. It's like the air we breathe. And when we talk about uh, when we talk about postmodernism, it's everywhere, and yet it's hard. To, to pin down. It's hard to grasp. And so this morning, my goal is to help you understand it and then uh, build some strategies for how we can build bridges to people who have really embraced postmodern culture. As I'm talking this morning, some of you will probably realize, to a large degree, you have probably embraced some of the elements of postmodernism, and you might not have even known it. it just, it's just everywhere. So, uh, let's jump in. And if you're taking notes this morning, there's note cards on your seats. And uh, there's some things that you may want to write down. If we're really going to understand postmodernism, we have to understand some of the philosophies that guided Western society for the last several hundred years. And the first thing that I want to define for you, and if you're taking notes, this is the first thing on your card, uh, I want to define for you the age of enlightenment, Much of our modern culture has its roots in the age of enlightenment. And this was a period of time that flourished particularly in the 18th century uh, that, that came to the point where they believed that reason is the primary source of legitimacy and authority. Reason, your intellect, thinking, and logic is the primary source of legitimacy and authority. Prior to this period of time, the Catholic Church was one of the primary sources of legitimacy and authority. Uh, God was considered the primary source of legitimacy and authority. But in the 18th century, thinkers began to say, reason is really what will make us experts. And what happened about that time was that scientific method replaced God as the source of truth. And to this day, we're still living in a culture that has really replaced God with science. Would you agree with me that for most people, science is a source of truth? And so that whole thing, you can go to the next slide, please, Michael. Scientific method replaced God as a source of truth. So that idea and that philosophic principle led then to the early 20th century rise of what is called modernism. And modernism focused on the development of science and technology, and it had a goal of ending human suffering. It was believed in the early 20th century that if we can just discover enough about how the earth works, if we can just invent enough technology, if we can uh, develop enough progress, we can wipe out human suffering on the planet. So that was a philosophy in, in the art world, in the literature world, things were changing and, and uh, thinkers and artists were paring things down to very simple shapes so if you think about modern art, you think about uh, things like uh, just big squares on a canvas, a big red square, that kind of stuff. It was this simplicity. It was the streamlined. It was, it was the goal of eliminating the excess of the Baroque period and, and, and all of those things that were, were done hundreds of years earlier. But the goal really was to ease human suffering on the planet. But then two world wars later, and uh, the Vietnam War, the Korean War, and 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 a history of great, great human suffering, and how technology fueled all of that, gave rise in the 1970s and the 1980s to what we're now calling postmodernism. And and in the 1970s, postmodern began to take root in our culture as thinkers acknowledged that those aspirations of of the modern thinkers had failed. People are still suffering all over the world. And then this was the big thing that postmodern uh, thinkers began to realize was that science doesn't answer the great questions of spirituality. That, uh, that this utopia that was envisioned had really become a joke. And in the soul of our society, there was just a big, empty hole. We had science... We had Darwin. We had a belief in evolution. But when it came to the big questions of why am I here and what's my purpose in life, modernism couldn't answer those questions. And so philosophers and thinkers began to think beyond that box of simplicity and utopia and technology and begin to fashion a different way of thinking. And whether you know it or not, all of us have been influenced by the great disillusionment that came with the failure of modern thinking. Now, let me make a couple of side notes before we jump into some of the characteristics of postmodernism. Uh, the first thing that I want you to know, this isn't in your notes, but you can jot this down if you want to. Uh, the first thing I want you to know is that postmodernism is not generational, all right? All right. We're used to thinking in terms of baby boomers and baby busters and Generation Xers and millennials. We think generationally, right? Postmodernism is not a generation. Uh, because Ed is, how old are you, Ed? 30. Because Ed is 30, it doesn't make him postmodern. Where Ernie, how old are you, Ernie? 58. 58. Ernie is modern. That's not how it works. I know lots of people who are in their 70s that are completely dedicated uh, to the principles of postmodernism. I know people in their teens and early 20s who are as modern as they can be. They're so science-oriented and thinking and logic-oriented. So it's not generational. It's cultural, and it's philosophical. Another thing you need to know is that uh, modernism is not right and postmodernism is not wrong. Okay, it's not a right or wrong issue. In fact, if we're really dedicated to Jesus and we're dedicated to the truth of the Bible, the only philosophy that is true and 100% accurate is a biblical worldview. There are things in modernism and postmodernism that are good and right, but there's lots of things in both philosophies that are uh, quite antithetical to the truth of the Bible. Does that make sense? So I'm not trying to say one is right and what is wrong. Um, postmodernism is driven by our popular media, movies, television, art. Uh, It's driven by political correctness in our government. It's driven by our public education system. And and so these philosophies are infiltrating us in a million ways. If you watch TV, you have probably been deeply influenced by postmodernism, and you don't even know it. It's just everywhere in our media. Uh, And then this is the other thing you need to know all these cultures modernism postmodernism biblical worldview they live side by side in our culture and so our culture has become increasingly mixed and and people have different ideas different belief systems and it's all mixed up but today i want to talk specifically about postmodernism what it is so here's a list i think i've got 8 different things that will describe what postmodernism is here's number 1 this is probably the most important one and it's this belief by postmodern people that there is no absolute truth. There is no absolute truth. Postmodern people believe that there is, there is no truth that can be relied on. In fact, they believe that if there is truth, it's all relative. In other, in other words, what's true for me may not be true for you. What's true for you might not be true for me. It's just all relative, and you can pick and choose what in fact is true. There are no absolutes in the postmodern mind. Now, uh, there's really nothing new under the sun, right? It says that in Ecclesiastes. Uh, Jesus encountered this idea that truth was unknowable. And if you have your Bibles, uh, I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 18. In John chapter 18, Jesus is being led... Uh, to the crucifixion, all of the events of that last week are unfolding. And uh, he's been charged with treason under Jewish law, but the Jews aren't allowed to put him to death because they're subjected to the Roman law. And so uh, the Jews have taken Jesus to the court of Pilate, who is a Jewish judge. And Pilate interviews Jesus in John chapter 18, and they have a very interesting conversation about truth. You can follow it along in your Bible, and uh, this is dramatized by a really great interpretation of the Gospel of John on, on film. Go ahead. Are you the king of the Jews?
1: Does this question come from you? Or have others told you about me?
0: Do you think I'm a Jew? It was your own people and the chief priests who handed you over to me.
1: What have you done? My kingdom does not belong to this world. If my kingdom belonged to this world, my followers would fight to keep me from being handed over to the Jewish authorities. No. My kingdom does not belong here. Are you a king, then? You say that I am a king. I was born and came into the world for this one purpose. To speak about the truth. Whoever belongs to the truth, listens to me. (sighs) And what is truth?
0: So this is not a new problem, right? Because 2,000 years ago, in Jesus' day, Jesus was standing for what was absolutely true, but there were people in his own society that didn't believe that truth could even be known. So even though postmodernism is a new manifestation in the 20th and 21st century, it's a very old problem. The question is, can truth be known? Postmodernism says, no, it really can't. Here's the second characteristic of postmodernism. Uh, a skepticism of authority. Skepticism of authority. Postmoderns have become very disillusioned with anybody who is in authority, anybody who has a title, anybody who, who uh, attempts to exercise power over other people. Probably because under the modern philosophy, so many despotic leaders arose to power and abused people in the name of science and progress. And so postmodern people have become very skeptical and suspicious of anybody in authority. Uh, Sam McGuire and I have this ongoing discussion uh, about what he should call me. There you are, Sam. Uh, And it relates to this. Uh, Sam, very early on, uh, once he started attending Connect Church, he started calling me Pastor, like Pastor is my first name. And uh, I said to Sam one day, uh, I let it go on for probably six, eight months or, or more, and I finally got fed up with it. And I said, Sam... I said, Sam, Pastor is not my first name. Please call me Russ. And uh, and he was just taken aback by that, you know, and, and I said, Sam, if you keep calling me pastor, I'm gonna have to call you carpet cleaner because I'm gonna assume we don't know I'm gonna assume we don't know each other's names, right? And so we had we had a very significant conversation one day, and Sam said, Russ, I call you Pastor because you're my pastor. And because I respect you and I love you and I'm putting you in that place in my life personally. And, and I thought that was very flattering and, and I appreciate Sam's heart so much in that regard. But here's the deal. I don't like people to call me pastor like it's my name because there's so many people in our culture who are uh, skeptical and suspicious of anybody in authority, anybody who has a title. Do you know what I'm saying? And although I am a pastor, that's my job. And although I hope that people respect me, I believe that my respect needs to be earned rather than just bestowed because that's my title. Does that make sense? And that's out of respect for people who are are in the postmodern culture. They don't assume because I'm a pastor, I'm an expert on anything. In fact, if I'm a pastor, it probably makes me more suspicious to them than anything else, and I respect that. Okay? Make sense? Here's number three. Uh, Postmoderns are characteristically uh, blurring morality. They're blurring morality. In fact, in the postmodern philosophy, uh, an entirely new morality has emerged, and it starts with this. The new morality is, number one, love yourself. Love yourself. Do you remember the song from the 80s? Whitney Houston, the greatest love of all. I remember the first time I ever heard that song, and it was on the radio, and I'm listening to it, and I was a big Whitney Houston fan, I thought, wow, this is a great song. I'm listening, and all of a sudden, the line comes, uh, the greatest love of all is happening to me. Learning to love yourself is the greatest love of all. I remember the first time I heard that song, and it just startled me because it was one of the first times I realized there's a shift in our culture. I had been raised that loving other people and serving other people was the greatest love of all. And now here's this huge pop singer singing that the best thing you can do is to love yourself. It's infiltrated our culture and it's taken hold, this, this elevation of loving yourself. And then it's evolved from there. Uh, postmoderns believe that you should do unto others as you wish. Uh, in fact, one postmodern author said this, what I want and what I choose is not only true for me, but it's right for me. That different people want and choose different things means that truth and morality are relative, but I have a right to my desires. Conversely, no one has the right to criticize my desires and choices. And in our politics today is a great movement that's called tolerance. And it's rooted in this postmodern morality that... Everybody's desires, everybody's wants are equal. There is no truth. There's no right or wrong. Everything is relative. And this is the new morality that we are living in. That's postmodernism. That's number three. Here's number four. This one's really interesting. Simulated reality. Simulated reality. We're living in a time where everything is simulated In one way or another. And we've gotten to the point where it's very difficult for us to discern the real from the artificial. Let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, You go to a shopping mall and there's little areas that look kind of like parks. But the plants are all fake and even the sunlight is artificial coming from above. All right? You go to an amusement park to experience simulated danger. Right? Think about it. People uh, simulate rebellion By wearing torn blue jeans and big black boots. They're really very nice people, but they're simulating a rebellious attitude. Uh, We have simulated sex on the phone and on the internet. Uh, The media simulates everything. You see pictures and videos and... And, and everything is symbolizing, and sometimes there's double meanings behind everything, and it gets to the point where it's impossible to tell what the artificial and what the real is because everything is so enmeshed in simulation. Video games are now simulating war and, and all kinds of things. You can become an avatar by playing video games. People sometimes get lost in that artificial world of video games, and this is part of living in a postmodern world. Let me talk about a couple of huge cultural icons. Uh, Marilyn Monroe, you remember her? Uh, iconic movie star of the 1950s and 1960s. Marilyn Monroe lived a tragic life, and yet she projected this image of sexual plaything that could have it all, experience it all, and just enjoy life to the fullest. That was the image. And after her death, that image has continued on to the point that the image has been disconnected from the reality of who Marilyn, even her name was simulated. Her name was Norma Jean, right? And, and it's just, we, we lose touch with the artificial and the real, where they intersect, Uh, The movie star from the 80s and even into now, Madonna, right? She took that Marilyn Monroe image and she adopted it as her own. And so she began to project the same image as Marilyn Monroe that was disconnected from the real Marilyn Monroe. And now we have Madonna that's disconnected from the real Madonna. And in fact, her name is kind of a double entendre because... She's supposed to be like the Virgin Mary, but not really like the Virgin Mary, and it's all just very confusing, and it all just becomes very simulated and artificial. Take a look at this video. It'll kind of illustrate this for you a little bit. Think about it as you watch it. A kiss on the hand maybe quite continental, but diamonds are a girl's best friend kiss maybe grand but it won't pay the rental on your humble flat or help you at the auto Map- Min- mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. See how everything is just interwoven and what is real and what is artificial is kind of uh, confusing. So simulated reality. Here's number five. This is a huge one in our postmodern culture today. Cynicism and what is called the knowing smirk. Cynicism and the knowing smirk. Uh, Our popular culture, our postmodern culture, pokes fun at everything And nothing is taken seriously anymore. Everything is just uh, the object of derision and sarcasm and kind of a wink and a grin, right? Let me give you some examples. Think about Austin Powers, right? Used to be the James Bond movies, Boy, those were the things. And then Austin Powers came along and just began uh, deconstructing all of the James Bond stuff to the fact now that when they make new James Bond films, they have to filter everything through Austin Powers because the James Bond films can start looking silly because they know that Austin Powers is going to make fun of them, right? Uh, If you've ever watched The Simpsons, The Simpsons is a television show that mocks hard work, it mocks the family, it mocks morality, it mocks political correctness, it mocks religion. Everything is fair game. And it's all cynical, it's all a wink and a smile. Uh, Everything is poked fun at. Uh, Scotty has been playing music with us for the last couple of months. A couple of weeks ago... A couple of weeks ago, Scotty uh, was playing in the band wearing this shirt, and I saw that shirt, and I said, we had a photographer in church, I said, get a picture of Scotty's shirt, I love that shirt. Look at his shirt. It's a skull and crossbones with the word smile, okay? It's just, it's a combination of things that don't go together, and it's all just in in good humor, tongue-in-cheek, we might call it. This is classic postmodernism. I should have told you before I did this, Scotty, sorry about that. And you look pretty bad there, too. (laughs) That's nice. You can be the Connect Church postmodern poster boy, right? So those are five. Those are five characteristics of postmodernism. Let me give you three that give us opportunities. These are fascinating things. Here's the first one, number six. Postmodern philosophy has rejected the big stories, but they have embraced local stories. They've rejected big stories, and they've embraced local stories. Uh, And I guess you could shorten it to say they love stories. Think about our popular media culture. Everything is a story. Movies are stories. Television is stories. Uh, Videos tell stories. Um, When you watch the evening news what do they do? They tell stories. It's not just reporting the facts of the news, but our news media tries to tell personal stories. This last week, President Obama gave his State of the Union address. Did you watch it? Some of you may have watched it. Uh, What do they do now in those things? They pack the first lady's box with human beings and they tell the stories that underscore the points that they're trying to make, right? Because story is everything in our postmodern culture. The problem we have is that postmoderns have rejected the big stories, the story of God creating the universe and God sending Jesus. But they love the local stories. They love to know your story. They love to know the indigenous people's story. They love fables and legends and all that kind of stuff. But we we have a book as Christians... That's full of great stories, and this is one of the ways that we can build bridges into postmodern culture is by the use of storytelling. It's one of the reasons that I tell lots of stories when I'm teaching, is because it's a way that we build bridges. Uh, I tell personal stories about myself. Sometimes I embarrass myself and my wife. Uh, if you were here last week, I embarrassed myself, and uh, a few hours later I figured out why. I, Sounded like a junior high girl, and, and I apologize for that. But it's all in the name of the story, right? Here's number seven. Here's number seven, and this one is significant as well. There's a hunger. There's a hunger for spirituality. This is probably our best opportunity as Christians because postmoderns have rejected the scientific method and the emptiness that comes when we believe that all there is is science. And postmodern people have said, there's got to be more. There's got to be a reason that I exist. There's got to be a reason and a purpose for my life. And it gives us an opportunity to say, yes, there is. Let me share with you how I've discovered reason and purpose for being. Ah. The problem that we have with that hunger for spirituality is that many postmoderns have made religion a smorgasbord. And so they pick and choose and they'll take a little bit of this religion, a little bit of that religion and they just kind of fill their plate with whatever makes them feel good. So that's a little bit, that's a challenge for us as Christians because we believe that Jesus is the way, the truth and the life, right? The one way, the one truth and the one life. So that's a challenge, but there's opportunity because people are spiritually starving in this postmodern world that we live in. Um, number eight, here's the last one. Postmoderns, in a large part, are on a quest for community. The individualism of the modern philosophy and the individualism that postmoderns still cling to, the need for self expression, the need for independence, has left so many people feeling very deeply lonely that they find themselves on a quest to develop community. This is one of the reasons that Facebook has exploded, because it's given a vehicle for developing community. This is one of the reasons that Starbucks has exploded. There's some social commentators that believe that Starbucks didn't peddle coffee as successfully as they peddled community, because their coffee shops were brilliant places for people to gather and hang out. Postmodern people are craving community, and again, it gives us an opportunity to build bridges into that culture. Gabe, would you co- come on up? Uh, I wanted Gabe Martin to tell his story this morning. Um, I'm sorry. I see you had a, I see you're walking with a crutch this morning, and I haven't had a chance to talk with you. What, what's happened? Tree, Bridger. Oh, Bridger. Mm-hmm. That is Victoria's oh, sh- mic there. There you go. Got attacked by a tree at Bridger. Yeah, Snowboarding? Yeah. Gotcha. All right. <laughs> Are you okay? All right. I'm glad you're okay. Uh, Amy got attacked at Bridger this last week too and broke three ribs, right? So yeah, I, thought both my legs were I think we better take, some, take it easy on the ski hill at Connect Church, right? Okay. Okay. Uh, Gabe, you, you started coming to Connect about two years ago, right? Sure. And you moved here from... Indiana. Okay, tell us a little bit about the story of how you ended up at Connect and how you ended up in Bozeman.
1: I moved to Montana to get away from uh, Indiana after I got divorced. I was married for nine years. Um, a friend of mine said, come out to Montana. I said, what's there? And he goes, I don't know, man, find out. So I packed up my car and I drove out here. And... Uh, Couple months after I was here, I met a young lady, and something that really turned me on about her was the fact that she went to church, and that, just the way I was raised. I mean, that was really cool. So I started coming here. Uh, she's no longer here, but it's just, you know, it's really cool. Yeah,
0: and so you've been here, you've been here just about every Sunday for two years, except when you've been traveling, and uh, you've made Connect Church really your home, haven't you? Right. Uh, when I first met you, Gabe. Uh, you called yourself, and I remember seeing it on Facebook, and, and we had long conversations about it, you called yourself uh, a Buddhist Christian, or was it Christian Buddhist? I don't remember the order. Same Doesn't matter. Okay. So you were one of these guys that was really picking and choosing. It was a spiritual smorgasbord for you. Uh, tell us a little bit about what your belief system was in terms of why did you identify yourself as a Christian Buddhist?
1: Um. I was raised in a faith-based cult, and it was just really screwed up. Um, the, I hate religion. Religion to me is dead because it's just a bunch of people that get together on a Sunday, and then they do their service, and then it's like they go away Monday, and it's like, uh, what's the verse? Uh, looking at yourself in the mirror and then forget about what you look like okay. when you walk away. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so... I looked at different religions, and having grown up in the city and just, you know, been in the Middle East and everything like that, I just really wanted to not so much drop religion completely, but I wanted to explore other avenues. Okay. And something that was more peaceful was, was Buddhism.
0: Okay. And so that, had, that appealed to you, and yet you had these Christian roots, yep. and so you were more or less embracing both of them. Uh, I can remember in the first few months that you were here at Connect Church, you and I would have these conversations, and and I'd say, Gabe, I understand that you're a Christian Buddhist, but what do you do with Jesus saying, uh, I am the only way, I am the only truth? And and I remember about that time, some of you probably remember too, Gabe had a necklace kind of like the one he has on. It had a big Buddha head on it. And uh, he would come to church, and people would say, have you talked to Gabe about that Buddha head on his necklace? You know? (laughs) And we would talk a lot about that, you know, and I kept challenging him, but uh, there was a day that you came to church, and you took that necklace off and threw it in the garbage.
1: And uh, uh, tell us a story. Robin, I think his name was. Uh Uh-huh. He was from Burma.
0: Burma, missionary from Burma.
1: Yeah. Um, He was from Burma, and he came in here and talked about how he's raised in a Buddhist uh, family, and his... his, uh, when he got saved, his whole family rejected him and everything like that, and it ended up later on down the line, his, his family got saved, and it was really cool. Um, just hearing the guy talk, just really uh, – just how he transformed from Buddhism to Christianity just really – I don't know. just really hit me. It struck me hard, you know, and, and Russ even <laughs> told me. He's like, look, I'm not going to tell you to take it off, but when you're ready, you will. You know, and I think after that Sunday when is when, when I walked up. and he, I, Did I hand it to you or just uh-huh.
0: toss it? I think you tossed it, but you wanted me to see it. Sure. So Yeah. And in doing that, uh, you were so moved by his experience of the persecution from his Buddhist culture mm-hmm. that I think you realized that Buddhism and Christianity were really incompatible. Am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So where are you at in your, in your spiritual walk now, Gabe?
1: Hmm. Um. I'm struggling just like everybody else does. Okay. But I'm still doing it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's a journey, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And one of the things I really believe, uh, all of us are on a journey. And uh, it takes some of us a long time to get to the point where we sell it out all the way to Jesus Christ. But uh, one of the things that I, I think you found here at Connect is community, didn't you, Gabe? And a family of people who love you?
1: Yeah, I just, um, having grown up just the way I grew up, um, foster care, both my parents passed away, better in the Middle East, and just all, the, all the childhood trauma, basically. Um, never really had a childhood, but basically all the childhood trauma that I went, up, went through, um, it's nice to be able to walk in here, and no matter if you say you're a Buddhist Christian, or if you have purple hair or whatever, people look at you and say, you know what? I, I wasn't even referring you.
0: If you're sitting in the back, Vicky has purple hair and she's taking offense a little bit.
1: No, it's just nice to be able to walk in and just be like, somebody would just walk up to you and say, hey man, I don't care where you're at, but I love you where you're at. I love you where you're at.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Gabe. Watch out for those trees next time, Gabe. (laughs) I appreciate Gabe sharing this morning. Uh, Let me talk real quickly. We'll walk through some things. uh, Postmodernism and culture. This will help you understand some of these things if you see some of the ways postmodernism Uh, is expressed in culture. And one of the best ways we can see it is in architecture. This might surprise you, but uh, architecture mirrors all of this other stuff that is happening in our culture so beautifully. Um, uh, Let me start with a, 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 a a great example of modern architecture. In the early 20th century, modernism wanted to strip everything down to its elementary forms and make everything as utilitarian and useful as as possible. So cities all across America began building these great big glass and steel boxes. And everything was just square and boring and I I think they're kind of ugly. But it it served the purpose of just providing office space for people that needed space inexpensively and, and useful, right? Then postmodernism came along and they said, we're not really big fans of all this kind of stuff and we're starting to think a little bit differently. And so they would build buildings like this one. This is the Sony building in New York City. And what they did is they took uh, a boxy building, they started with that, and then they put a top on it that looks like a grandfather clock. And, and, And when we look at it, you might not even put those things together, but the architect very intentionally made that building look like a big grandfather clock. And it was kind of tongue-in-cheek, poking fun at architecture, pointing fun at modernism by putting a ridiculous top on the building. And this is an architectural example of postmodernism. And then it progressed. I could show you dozens of different buildings that would be considered postmodernism, but this is one of the most extreme examples, the Guggenheim Museum in Spain. And this building, the architect just decided, who, who said that walls have to be vertical? Who said that everything has to be 90 degrees? Why don't we throw some curves and some leaning things and we'll just kind of mishmash it all together. And this idea of just deconstructing all of the expected ideas of anything has found its way into every aspect of postmodern culture. Just pulling all the rules down is one of the things about postmodernism. Even in our own community, the Bozeman Public Library is a great example of postmodern architecture. You see up on the top, it's very boxy and modernistic, but what they've taken is those old forms of the downtown Bozeman architecture, and they've superimposed that. And then the other thing that I think is very postmodern is... uh, in reaction to this idea that we're going to just rape the earth and use the resources to advance humankind the city of bozeman spent an outrageous amount of money to make this the greenest building in the city and uh, it was this postmodern idea of we've got to take care of mother earth because mother earth will nurture us if we love her postmodern idea expressed in architecture uh, we can talk about film uh chris and i on friday night Uh, We rented the movie Avatar. How many of you have seen Avatar? All right. Classic postmodern film. And if you haven't seen this movie, let me just give you a synopsis. This guy is a Marine and he's been in combat. He's lost the use of his legs. And so he signs up for a mission to the planet Pandora that has these native uh, people on the planet Pandora. And they're blocking the human being's progress to come in and mine this mineral that they want out out of this planet. And so this young man, without the use of his legs, agrees through the use of technology to become an avatar, He inhabits the body of one of these native beings, and he begins to work to negotiate with these people so that the humans can come in and do their mining process. It's this idea of simulated reality. And the story goes that once he becomes this avatar, he discovers that his life as the avatar is better than his life as a real person. So it's the blurring of what is real and what is artificial and I don't want to give the end of the movie away if you're going to watch it, but uh, he, in the end, decides to live in the artificial realm instead of the realm of reality. Great postmodern example. Uh, Fight Club is a classic anarchist postmodern film uh, with bizarre plot twists, and you're never really sure what is real and what is artificial. Uh, And I mentioned Austin Powers is a great postmodern example of film. On TV, we could talk about Lost, uh, many of you have been wa- lost watchers. Chris and I have watched every episode except the last one. Uh, I don't know why we haven't watched the last one, but uh, deeply, <laughs> don't do it, <laughs> deeply ph- philosophical, deeply spiritual, a reflection of our postmodern hunger. Uh, the Daily Show with Jon Stewart, Do some of you watch this? Uh, it's fake news, all right? But you're never really sure what's real and what's fake, and it's, it's all kind of comedic. Uh, The Office is a television show. They call it a mockumentary, right? Because it looks like it's a documentary, but they're just making fun of anybody that's ever worked in a professional building. Um, And, of course, The Simpsons. Uh, in, in music, I mean, we could talk about so many people, and I know I've given you lots of examples of Madonna, but Madonna is like the archetype postmodern person. One of the things that Madonna has, has done consistently through her career is blur the, the lines of gender identity, and she's deconstructed morality in our culture. I remember in the 80s when Madonna started wearing her underwear on the outside of her clothing. And, and I said to Chris, that's so ridiculous. I sure hope that women don't start wearing their underwear as regular clothing. And you know what? It happened, right? And um, I won't go there. Uh, <laughs> Lady Gaga, somebody that's a little more contemporary, you know, she's, she's asking the question, who said that clothes need to be made out of fabric, you know, and, and, and who makes the rules? So she makes clothes out of bubbles. Uh, she makes clothing out of meat, all right? And, uh, and just a great example of how postmodernism is being expressed in our culture. So let me wrap up this morning. Let me wrap up by asking the question, how can we help postmodern people reconnect with God? This is our mission, is to build bridges, right? And, and if our goal is to help them, what are some of the tools that we can use? Here's number one, if you're taking notes number one, tell your story. Tell your story. Capitalize. Capitalize on the love of people's stories. They love to hear what's happened to you. People are open to hearing how you have experienced Christ. How has Jesus crashed into your world and changed your life? Tell the story. I think so many people are afraid that if I talk about my religion, I'm going to cross some lines. And with some people, you know, the the standard of the 60s and 70s and the 80s was never talk religion, never talk politics. But I think in postmodern culture, it's changing. People are fascinated by stories, and they're fascinated by your personal experience. Tell the story of how Jesus has changed your life. Stories is, was, was Jesus' strategy. Do you know that in the Gospels, Jesus told 36 parables alone? Here's one of them. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus said, suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. Imagine this. You can paint the picture in your mind. Suppose a woman has 10 silver coins, and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I've found my lost coin. That's what happened when I found my lost gloves. You remember that story? (laughs) Jesus said, In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels and God over one sinner who repents. Jesus didn't just come along and pound truth into people's lives. He told stories because he knew stories connected with people. And we've never had a better opportunity than 2011 to connect with people through the use of story. Here's number two. Now, this one's tough, especially if you have a biblical worldview. But I would encourage you, don't demand respect for the Bible. Now, as Christians... We believe that this book is the inspired word of God. Please don't go away from here and say, Pastor Russ says that the Bible isn't the word of God. That's not what I'm saying. But if we're building bridges, we can't assume that somebody else believes this book to have the same authority as we do. And so if we go to people and we say, you have to believe this book if you want to be saved, we're not building bridges. I would encourage you, rather than demanding that somebody believe that the Bible is God's word, try to introduce them to Jesus. Focus on Jesus, and the truth of the Bible will come later. We're building bridges. Does that make sense? Okay. Number three, I really believe that we can use humor and sarcasm and cynicism. All right. Uh, that's hard for some Christian people that think you just need to be nice all the time, right? Uh, but you know what? Jesus used humor and sarcasm and cynicism. Think about this in Matthew chapter seven. Jesus said this, said this to some people that were really judgmental. You remember this story? He said, why do you try to pick the speck out of somebody's eye when you got a plank in your own eye, all right? Do you hear the sarcasm and the humor? I mean, if you kind of paint the picture in your, in your head, it's funny, right? Y'all aren't laughing. <laughs> Jesus was funny, okay? And we can use that to build bridges to people, who really appreciate The Simpsons and, and The Office and John Stewart and, and the cynical side of life. We can build bridges by using those tools in our, in our English language. Fourthly, don't disconnect from popular culture. And I'm not saying that you need to immerse yourself in sinful stuff. That's not what I'm saying. But if we become disconnected to what's happening in our culture, it's more difficult to build bridges. Stay aware. Uh, so that you can have conversations with people about what they're experiencing in culture. Don't sin, that's what I'm saying, but don't disconnect either. Fifthly, and these last two are the most important ones offer authentic spirituality. Offer authentic spirituality. We have a unique experience in this time period to offer experiential Christianity. Hear me carefully. When I was growing up, uh, we were deeply rooted in modernism, scientific thought. And our goal all the time was to find a way to scientifically prove that the Bible is true. Because the goal in evangelism was to convert atheists to Christianity, right? And, and that was the strategy. Keep everything very mental, very, uh, very logical. In today's postmodern world, people are looking for experiences, And so we can offer, especially as people who believe in the the supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit, we can offer people spiritual experiences because that's what God is doing in the world today. And we don't need to be afraid of that spirituality. We don't need to be ashamed of the gifts of the Spirit and the manifestations of the Spirit in church or outside of church because it's a great way of leading people to Jesus when they hear the stories. uh, the last few months here at Connect Church, we've had miraculous, unbelievable healings. Those kinds of stories build bridges to people that, that want to know that there really is something out there besides myself. In fact, this week, uh, we went to Butte for some meetings with John and Emily. And you remember last fall when John and Emily's baby Hannah was born and she, had, uh, she was diagnosed with tyrosinemia. And it was basically the kind of diagnosis that said that this baby is not ever going to thrive. She may be mentally retarded. It was a devastating, devastating diagnosis. And Connect Church went to prayer. I mean, we prayed up a storm. Do you remember? And that baby within, I think it was within two weeks, came back with a clear diagnosis of complete health. We went to Butte this week, and here's this giant baby. And we're looking at Hannah. I said... (laughs) I said to Emily, how old is that baby? Because she's just a giant. And she's now off the charts in growth. I mean, she's more than 100% in height, in weight. She's off the charts. They're telling Emily now that she has higher than normal intelligence. Um, it's almost like it wasn't that Jesus just healed her. It's like he reversed the diagnosis. <laughs> and she's growing more rapidly than, than regular children do. That's what God does, and those kinds of stories can help people fall in love with Jesus, and it doesn't all have to be head knowledge. It doesn't have to be contained and controlled, uh, because the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives is a bridge that we can build to postmodern people. Make sense? Here's the last one, and this one I feel so passionate about. Invite postmodern people to belong to our community invite people to belong. We say something around here quite often. We believe that one of the best strategies for helping people connect with God is inviting them to belong before they believe. That was our strategy with Gabe. Uh, We knew that he maybe didn't have the best theology, we knew that there were some issues in his life that needed to be cleaned up, but he became a part of our community even before all of that spiritual growth had taken place. Invite people to belong before we believe. We frequently have musicians play with our band who are not yet believers, but we believe that's part of our mission. Let's invite them to belong to our group. Let's let them use their gifts, and they can sing and play the praises of God uh, even if they're not yet where they Uh, might be going on their journey. They belong before they believe. Some people get all worked up about that. All right. I don't get worked up about that because we're on mission. And one of the things I know is that postmodern people are craving community. They're craving something real and they are so cynical and they're so skeptical. It might take a year or two before they say this is real. And if we demand that they believe before they can belong, we're going to lose the opportunities to lead them to Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? So uh, offer them authentic spirituality and invite them to believe. Invite them to belong. And uh, Jesus is going to bring them along. A couple of things that I want to do to wrap up this morning. Uh, The last couple of weeks I've given you a couple of things uh, and I didn't put them in your notes this morning because there's just no more room. But uh, there's several ways you can be on mission, and I just want to throw these out to you again this morning. Uh, our our downtown Bozeman location is doing well, but we just need more people in downtown Bozeman on Sunday nights who can love people, who can offer authentic community, who can minister and serve and volunteer. If you would consider making downtown Bozeman your church home, it would help us so much. It would free up some space here, but also it would make downtown Bozeman a thriving community, which is what we need so much. The other thing, if we're going to be a church that's on mission, we need everybody who considers Connect Church Home to be uh, volunteering in some way. And so on your connection card, there's, uh, I don't know, a couple dozen at least opportunities, areas that we need volunteers Uh, Last week, I think we had 40 or 50 people sign up to volunteer for new areas of ministry. Thank you. And if you haven't done that already, absolutely. If this is your home church and you're not yet serving, it's a way to be on mission. Because when we're working well together, we can be so more effective, we can be so much more effective at reaching people who are far from God. Make sense? Last thing, and then we'll pray. The band can come if you On our Facebook page, uh, we're asking the question, where do you see postmodern culture the most? I'm curious to know what your experiences are, where you see this happening. Uh, I hope if you're a, a friend on Facebook, you'll jump on and tell some stories. Where do you see postmodernism? What do you think about all this? How can we be more effective? Jump into the conversation. Uh, This last week we've had some really interesting uh, posts and it's been fun uh, to be a part of that. So I hope you'll join up in that discussion.